Hey there, and welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one definitive page of Talmud each day. I'll confess, I don't care a lot about real estate. I don't get why so many people spend so much time on websites like Zillow, pining over homes they will never own. It's the same reason I don't really get cooking shows. What's the point in watching other people prepare and enjoy a meal you'd never be able to taste? It just feels so strange to me, which is why I rarely bother with a real estate section of the newspaper. But this week, a real estate transaction was announced involving a piece of property so iconic that even I was forced to pay attention. The Chrysler Building, the 77-story Midtown Manhattan famous Art Deco masterpiece and arguably one of the best-known buildings in the entire world. The building is now owned by two companies, a New York developer named RFR and a European company called Cigna Holding. And last month, an Austrian court ruled that Cigna, which is having financial difficulties, should be forced to sell its share in the Chrysler building. This idea of being forced to sell something was very familiar to the rabbis of the Talmud. Here they are on today's page, Bava Kama 62, explaining the intricacies of this concept. Have a listen. Rav Ada, son of Rav Avia, said to Rav Ashi, concerning two terms used to describe those who take another's property against his will, a gazlan and a chamsan, what is the difference between them? Rav Ashi said to him, a chamsan gives money for the article that he takes from its owner, albayit against the owner's will, whereas a gazlan does not give money. Rav Ada was puzzled by this response and said to him, if he gives money, do you still call him a chamsan? I mean, isn't it legit? He paid. Since he pays money for it, he acquires it lawfully, despite the fact that its owner did not sell it voluntarily. But doesn't Rav Khuna say, if one was strung up so that another could coerce him to sell a certain item and he sold it, his sale is a valid sale. This indicates that a sale under duress is considered a valid sale. Rav Ashi answered, This is not difficult. This case, where the sale under duress is legally considered to be a sale, is referring to a case where he eventually says, I want to sell the item, despite having been forced. By contrast, in that case, where the sale is invalid, he did not say, I want to sell the item. What's the difference here? And why does it matter? To understand it, let's look at another real estate story that made national headlines last month. This one involving the decidedly non-iconic home of Corrine Woodson, an 84-year-old woman living on Hamilton Road in Auburn, Alabama. Here's how WSFA, a local Auburn channel, described Woodson's predicament. The Woodson family, WSFA reported, purchased the 40-acre piece of land in the early 1900s. When Woodson's late husband's father died, the property was left to his children or their designated heirs. Dozens of people have a stake in the property and some want to sell. They're called tenants in common, meaning no one has a specific piece of property, just a percentage. When one owner wants to sell or files a partition in court, everyone must sell. Through the years, Cleveland Brothers Incorporated, which is a developer, has bought different family members' interests in the property and now owns 49% of the acres. Soon, they'll have the chance to buy it all. The property is currently under court-ordered appraisal, and when it's done, the Cleveland brothers can purchase it. 
because Woodson was living in a house that was owned by the property that was given to another family member, she's at the whim of whatever ultimately happens with the sale. The people who are being forced to sell the Chrysler building understand why they've arrived at this predicament and are willingly, however begrudgingly, pursuing this sale. Corrine Woodson isn't, and her lack of consent, the rabbis teach us, should matter to us. Because theft isn't just taking someone's property by force and not paying them for it. When you buy someone out without their approval, using legal and financial machinations to prevail, you may not be a gazlan or a straight-out thief, but you're certainly a chamsan, another category of unlawful taker, and that's not much better. So when we hear of cases like Woodson's, the rabbis beseech us, we shouldn't just shrug our shoulders and say, hey, what are you going to do? That's life. We should rise to the aid of those being legally robbed and do whatever we can to help them. Because unless we make our marketplace as just and as mindful as it can be, we will soon lose faith in the idea of a free marketplace altogether. This has been Take One. If you enjoy the show, and I hope that you do, then you are really going to love the new book just published by me. It's called How the Talmud Can Change Your Life, Surprisingly Modern Advice from a Very Old Book. You can order it now at your local bookstore or directly from the publisher through the link in this here podcast description or through that big online store whose logo is, you know, a smile. As always, please go rate and review Take One on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. You could get your Take One t-shirts and mugs and other swag at tabletstudios.com and you could subscribe to our weekly newsletter at tabletm.ag slash take one newsletter. Take One is a Tablet Studios production. The show is hosted by me, Leah Leibowitz, and is produced and edited by Daron Ruskay, Quinn Waller, and Ellie Blyer. Our team also includes Stephanie Butnik, Josh Cross, Robert Scaramucci, Courtney Hazlett, and Tanya Singer. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we have made your day a little more Talmudic. <laughs>